Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, You are the one who is worthy of all worship and praise and adoration. Lord, none of us would be here with any sense of joy or hope if it weren't for You and what You've done through Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise You. You are the great and awesome and holy God. You are the majestic one. You are the one who rules and reigns over your universe. Not only this earth, but every, every heavenly body and entity. You rule over it. Your majesty is seen everywhere. Father, we praise you. We honor you. We adore you this morning. Father, thank you that you know our hearts. That you can see each and every one of us who are physically here or by or at home, you know our hearts, and you know that while we are absolutely rejoicing, and we are so happy to begin this process of regathering together, and Lord willing, by your grace, and according to your perfect plan, bringing everybody back together again, to gather physically, and be able to give hugs, and express sweet and tender affection for one another, more than we're able to right now, it's okay, we rejoice, Lord. We thank you for this grace. And yet at the same time, Father, you know that our hearts are heavy with everything that's going on all over our city, our state, our country. We're deeply affected and burdened by so much that's taking place. Father, grant us the grace to process things through a right perspective. Lord, we pray for the families of those who've been killed that you would have your comfort upon them. We pray for those who have been hurt, harmed, and have had their livelihood destroyed and terribly impacted. Lord, we pray as well for their families, that you would bring comfort upon them and that they would cry out to you. Many of these are our brethren all over the country and all over the world. Especially in our country, we pray for our brethren, that they might be reminded of the God of all comfort that they might cast their anxieties upon them because you care for us. And we never forget that. We pray for your justice to be served upon those who have done and continue to do evil. We also remember that you desire all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, Father, we pray for repentance and salvation so that, Lord, those who have done evil and continue to do evil, Lord, the least of their worries is the justice that government or law enforcement or anyone can render upon them on this earth. May they escape your wrath that is coming. Lord, please, we beg you that you would bring about great repentance in the hearts of people, that they would see their sin, that they might savor, savor the Savior. Lord, we pray for peaceful protesters for their protection, for their continuing kind disposition towards those things that they are appealing, that they are pointing out that are wrong in our country. We pray for your protection upon them, for their families. We pray for those who are on the front lines, Lord, serving us and protecting us, those who disagree with what's taken place and actions taken by corrupt law enforcement officers. Father, may we remember that there are those who are not the same. Protect them. Be with them. Military. Civilians trying to de-escalate situations. Be with them. Protect them. 
Above all, Father, we pray for your church. That we would be different. That we would set aside the passing pleasures of sin. Being focused on the earthly things of this life. That, Father, we might remember that we are kingdom citizens. And are called to live that way. Father, help us to be people who are about good works for your glory right now. That we might not just speak up, but speak into the lives of others, the truth of the word of God and the gospel that brings true hope beyond this present world. Lord, use us. Move in us. Lord, convict us. Help us to be people of compassion. We have all committed injustice against you, and yet through Jesus Christ, you, Lord, have given us blessing. Help us to long for that for our world and for our country, we pray. Father, may you advance the gospel of your Son on this earth. And may no one, none of us even, be guilty of elevating other things above the exalted Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Help us to be about him and to exalt him. Lord, I pray for this morning. You know my heart. That I've been greatly challenged by these things. I pray for your people as well. It matters little, the preparation. It matters little. Father, what we from a man-made perspective can generate, it matters little. Unless your spirit works in the hearts of your people, there won't be any change. So Lord, work in our hearts. Those of us who are here physically, those who, who are watching from their homes or wherever else, give us soft and tender, humble hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, the title of this message is God is not silent. God is not silent. And I'm sure you would agree that the last few weeks have been pretty difficult weeks. I hope that you have felt that. If we are about the Great Commission as followers of Jesus then that means that we are about the business of people, right? Followers of Christ are people. And so the things that happen with people in our society or all over the world um, is our business. It's our business because we are here on mission. Pastor John MacArthur has often said that we can worship Christ perfectly in heaven. So there's a reason why we're here on earth. And that is that we are here on mission to reach people for Christ. I hope that is your passion as a great commission follower of Jesus. And so what's happening with people right now is our business because it's, it's people who are going through these things. And we should care about that. The greatest example of that was the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, who actually came to earth to enter humanity, took upon a human nature to enter into our fallenness, our broken world to engage us and obviously culminating all, all of that in him going to the cross and paying for sins on the cross. He is our example to be engaged people during this time. Amen? Christ. Well, I felt great sadness and sorrow. I've had all kinds of emotions, outrage, 
Even sinful anger at different times that I've had to repent of. Maybe you've been there. I hope that you've been there at times because that means that you've been wrestling with the Lord, being humbled before Him and checking your own heart, having your own heart be examined by the Spirit of God through His Word. I hope that that's where you've been. I've gone through all kinds of emotions, fear, pain, outrage. I've talked to believers, not only many of you in our body, but many outside of our church, longtime brothers and sisters in Christ, from all kinds of colors of skin, to hear their hurts, to hear their pain, to hear their sorrow, to hear about their sadness. Many of us are going through so many different emotions. And as I've processed through so many of these things, if I put my theology into practice, and what I know to be true about God and His gospel and His word, if I put my theology into practice, I can understand what the world is doing right now. And why the world, the non-believing world, non-Christians, why they are responding the way that they're responding right now. I can understand. But beloved, my greatest heartache and concern is for Christians in general. And for our church, the church that God has allotted to our charge as your shepherds, as your elders. The church, the Christian church is my greatest concern right now. And how we respond to the suffering that's taking place in our country and all over our world. How we respond to the devastation and the destruction and all of and the exploitation that we see all over our world. My heart is for Christians and for the Christian church, the bride of Christ. How do you and I process through all of this? How do we respond to the current crises? Is it possible to be committed to the gospel as Christians and engage the current issues at hand? Is it possible? I ask myself. I've wrestled with this. Is our commitment to the gospel as Christians directly at opposites with a concern and a care, a genuine heartfelt care for what is happening in our country and the atrocities that we see? Can we be committed to the Word of God without compromise, to the truth, and be actively engaged in the current events? This is what I want us to consider and think about this morning and actually in the next couple of Sundays from different angles and perspectives. And I'm sure you've noticed that everyone's got an opinion, right? Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone on social media has got an opinion. Anybody can pick up their iPhone right now and do a 30-second, one-minute clip and just barf all over the Internet, right? We've seen that. Many of us have watched the videos. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody wants to be heard. We want to be heard. Politicians want to be heard. The government wants to be heard. Young people, older people, everybody wants to be heard. But few people are listening to God. And I'm here to tell you today, beloved brethren, Christian church, the bride of Christ, God is not silent about the things that are happening. I am zealous that we understand that. 
I've been convicted to be in moments of despair where I've been, where I've been a practical atheist. And I have forgotten, even as a pastor, as a child of God, that God is absolutely sovereign. And He is not silent about what is taking place in our world. And I pray that some of us may be convicted and pricked to the heart this morning that we have forgotten about a kingdom that is coming, that Jesus is ushering in, and the definitive death blow against all of these atrocities and all of these sufferings is through Jesus Christ alone in the gospel. God is not silent. And so today, through the preaching and the ministry of the word, To my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, to you who are watching my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to bear my heart to you as we minister the Word of God together to one another's hearts. As we consider these things. Because as your pastor, I love you. Our pastors and elders love you deeply. We have shed tears. We have prayed for you during this pandemic. And now everything going on in our country, we love you, we care about you. And so this message here today is in that spirit of love. Where I'm going to say some hard things in this message. I'm going to say some hard things to you that apply to me as well. And I want you to take those things in love knowing that I care about you and that our elders care about you. And most importantly, that God loves us who are in Christ Jesus in a very particular kind of way through His Son, I'm more concerned right now about telling you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear. Because I want you to be like Christ. That's my aim, and I think that is God's aim in His Word. Colossians 1, 28-29, we proclaim Christ. Ultimately, why? That you might be conformed to the image of Christ. So we need to hear certain things this morning. And so it will be a hard message. I want you to know that, but I am exactly in the same place as you are. I don't speak, I'm not preaching at you this morning. I am right in the middle of this too. And these are the things that God has been doing in my heart through His Word, by His Spirit, by His grace. And so I have three main points. And we're only going to get to through a, a couple of these this morning. Three main points. The first one is this. As we think about this tension of Can we be committed to the gospel and yet be actively engaged in the things that are going on in our society? I want to remind us of this first and foremost. That being about the gospel means during this time that you and I denounce injustice in all its forms. There's no contradiction there. If you are a gospel-transformed citizen, a kingdom citizen, you will be, by the grace of God, a, a person who denounces injustice in all its forms right now. And as God's people, as Christians, we must be on the forefront because we have the answer to the end and the extermination and the extinguishing of all suffering in this world in a future kingdom. Amen? But in the present... We must speak the truth in love, and this is one of those things. Proverbs seventeen fifteen: He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both are an abomination to the Lord. God is against those who support and call good evil, 
and those who stand, who, who, who are against, and those who support and call evil good. And when we talk about justice as Christians, it should always begin with God, our Heavenly Father, right? God is just. He is inherently just. God, always flowing from His divine nature as a just God, only does what is right, only gives out righteous judgments. His decisions are always perfect. The Bible speaks about this, and it speaks about God's, God as just, very much in connection with Him being an impartial judge in those judgments. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. There is no partiality with God. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 17. Moses said to the people there, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. Yes, that was in the Old Testament, but God's character transfers over into the present because he is of an unchanging character, right? He is a just God who does not show partiality to anyone. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, when speaking of all the Gentiles being saved through the gospel, Peter says, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, that's the word ethnos, from which we get ethnicity, but from every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. God is just and impartial. Even with regards, especially with regards to his eternal plan to redeem a people from every nation, tongue, and tribe and bring them together into one beautiful body, the bride of Christ. He's impartial. That flows from his just character. Now, what does the fact that God is just mean for us as Christians? It means this. That you and I, beloved, can rest assured that God will not ultimately allow any injustice to go unpunished. No one cares more about the justice of God than he, uh, injustice than God does. No one does. He is not silent about this. In fact, all we got to do is look at the gospel, don't we? All we have to do is look at the justice of God as Jesus himself went to the cross, took upon our sins, our punishment, God's wrath for us, and he satisfied the what of God? The justice of God. See, we often focus on on the byproduct of that. The reward that we get by faith in Jesus, salvation from our sins. But the first reason Jesus came into the world, the eternal Son of God, He came to satisfy the just wrath of God for our sins. Your sins, your personal sins, and my personal sins. We see this in the Gospel. Lots of people talking about justice, justice, justice right now. Few people talking about the core of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to satisfy God's justice because we as his creatures, as God's creatures, have committed injustice against God. Every single one of us are sinners. And the only hope that we have is that Jesus, if you trust in Christ, he has satisfied the just wrath of God on the cross. You want to talk about justice in its purest forms? Look at Jesus. Look at the good news of Christ. 
savor the, the Jesus who came and took upon himself God's wrath for our sins. It comes back to the gospel for us, doesn't it? As believers and how we process through all of these things. And the implication for us then as redeemed people, as gospel-transformed citizens, is that God desires, beloved, that we too reflect His character, that we too would be just and impartial toward others. There are implications for us as believers for the fact that God has saved us, has set us apart from sin and purchased us for Himself. That Jesus has satisfied God's justice. There are now implications. Things that are the fruit of our salvation. And one of those is that you and I as Christians should desire justice. Because God demands justice. He demands justice. It naturally, necessarily flows from his just character, from his very nature. And those of us who are being conformed into his image must demand for the same thing. Micah chapter 6 is such a key text that I've been wrestling with in private. There in Micah chapter 6, God, through the, through the mouth of his prophet, Micah, condemns the hypocrisy of so-called worshipers who come to him with their religious sacrifices, who come to him with their so-called best, even offering themselves, all the while oppressing God's people. Micah 6, 6, listen to this. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Here's this worshiper coming, offering everything from an external perspective, offering everything, sacrifice, their best, even themselves. This is God through the prophet asking a series of questions to get them to think and answer, what is it that God really wants from people who genuinely worship him? Verse 8, he has told you, O men, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God hates hypocrisy and hateful injustice. And what he wants is for his people to be kind, to be humbly devoted to him, and to be devoted to justice. And so as it pertains to our current situation, brothers and sisters, I've been thinking so much about this. That we as believers, as Christians, should be on the forefront of, in a godly, Christ-like manner, within biblical parameters that God allows, we should be speaking the truth and love in that area of our witness as well. What does the fact that God is just mean for us as believers? For starters, I think that it means that none of us, none of us, here or watching, beloved, none of us should in any way, shape, or form ignore excuse or subtly downplay the fact that one man was murdered, one image bearer was murdered by another image bearer recently. 
The record, by the way, because I've seen some of the tweets and things out there, mostly by non-believers, but sadly by some Christians or professing believers, along these lines, well, think about the man's past. Think about the things that he's done. Hear me. The man's past interactions with law enforcement officers does not mean that he should have been murdered that way. It was a hateful, heinous act. It was unjust. It was heartless. The death of Mr. Floyd, he is a person. He's a person. Look into his eyes. Look into the eyes of his family, his loved ones. Here is a man who was a person just like us, made in the image of God. And if you are for the sanctity of human life, then you are speaking the truth and love in that area as well. Amen? And I know you feel that, beloved. I know that you do. I've been so encouraged, moved. That you have not been silent, most of you. On social media, that you've been trying to bring the truth to bear upon these situations in your own way, sometimes not even knowing the best way to do that. Praise God for you. I love you for that. Our elders love you for that. God is not silent about injustice, and neither should we. Neither should we, as followers of Christ. Now, how we do that, how we stand for justice as Christians should be different than the world, right? This is huge for us. And this is a huge concern for me as your pastor. Because as Christians, we should not resort to the mindset or the methods of the world around us. Of people who live in, in a perpetual state of hating others in their hearts. Of people who treat others and take matters into their own hands with hatred. That should not be true of the believer. Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved Christians. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And 1 Peter 3.9 calls on Christians to not return evil for evil, insult for insult, but to give a blessing instead. Why? For you, Christian, were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Isn't that beautiful? See, it goes back to the gospel for us again and again. Peter says, why are you not to repay evil for evil? Because you are a Christian. You deserve God's just punishment. You deserve hell and condemnation. Instead, God poured his wrath on Jesus and gave you the blessing of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of eternal life, Christian. He punished Jesus on the cross. For us who have trusted in Him, in Jesus Christ, who've turned from our sins and trusted in Him as our Lord and Savior, 
and he's giving us blessing instead. So it goes back to the gospel for us. Even in how we respond to the suffering of others. What does the fact that God is just mean for us? It means that we should speak up and speak the truth about all evil happening right now. And I'm going to be really honest with you here. I don't see that happening enough either. To be crystal clear, I am not talking here about peaceful protesters who rightly, appropriately are hurting and appealing to the governing authorities and saying there's something wrong and things should not be as they are. I think there's a place for that in our country. And I think that as Christians, we can use wisdom as to the level of our involvement in those things. But I don't think it would be a sin for you in a peaceful manner, in a witnessing kind of manner, in a way where you're seeking to even make disciples in those contexts, to be engaged in that. Again, there are biblical parameters for that. And your motivation goes into that. I'm not talking right now about peaceful protesters. I'm talking about violent, hateful people who are hurting and destroying other people's lives. People who are being selfish, self-centered, destructive, reckless. Evil people who are violently hurting and even killing others. Hurting even civilians who are trying to appeal to them from their own ethnicity. White, black, brown, yellow, you name it. I don't care about the shades of color. Civilians who are trying to appeal to human beings. Human beings appealing to other human beings. Stop, this isn't the way. And they're being hurt and even beaten to a pulp. Evil people who are targeting even law enforcement officers. I spoke in the last couple of weeks to officers within our church body and officers outside of our church body. And you know what? Across the board, I heard absolute denouncement of what happened in Minneapolis by their fellow comrade law enforcement officers. Ashamed of what took place but also a sense of insecurity. That their beloved brothers and sisters in this church or the church at large would never feel like they are the same. Why would anybody even feel like they need to communicate that, brothers and sisters? But there are people targeting them. And targeting others, other law enforcement officers who have had nothing directly to do with that situation, who have served their country and the citizens of their communities for months and years and even decades. Why do they deserve this? How come we don't call out that injustice? People like Officer David Dorn, real people, put the name in front of them and look at their faces. On the internet, a 77-year-old retired police officer in St. Louis served his country for 38 years, killed. Not by peaceful protesters, by destructive ones. 
self-centered ones who justify their sin of killing an image bearer themselves because they're in pain, because they are hurt. I don't question the fact that that is legitimate. But let me tell you something. If I thrashed my wife today and told her off, I can promise you right now that I wouldn't be able to meet with an elder for counseling. I would have said, you know, Lou, the reason why I did that is because she made me really mad. She really hurt me. It hurts me so much. I even wept, Lou. You know what Lou would do? Get a bat and whack me across the head with it, spiritually speaking. Kempis, that may be the case that you're hurt and that you're in pain, and there might be some legitimate things to consider on the other side, but that doesn't justify in any way, shape, or form that you thrash your wife or put a hand on her. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where the scriptures give us an out, even because of our pain and our hurt, to go and take our hurt and bitterness out on others, to harm them physically, or to even target them and kill, try to kill them. I don't find any justification for that in the scriptures. God is not silent about that. But I hear a lot of very subtle, very passive language like that. As if somehow that justifies it, people's pain and hurt. No, it doesn't. No matter what ethnicity you are. I'm not talking about just black people right now. I'm talking about whites, Hispanics, Asians, whoever you are. It doesn't justify violence. Just because you're hurt or in pain. And as Christians, we shouldn't explain it away by our silence. We are Christians. We are in Christ. Let us not commit the same sin, beloved brothers and sisters, of being partial by rightly calling for justice for Mr. Floyd's life, all the while diminishing by our silence the hateful, destructive behavior of violent protesters and destructive people who are, don't even give a lick about people who are suffering legitimately. All they care about is, is, is ransacking people and destroying their property and hurting other people, even in their pain. And if we are like God, and we recognize that God speaks to those things, we will call out that as well and speak the truth into those people's lives and pray for their souls that they would repent and that they would experience the compassion and the mercy of Jesus and be forgiven of their sins and reconciled. I'm not asking you to respond in a sinful, angry kind of a way, but to be zealous for the glory of God as you pray for those people as well. Gospel-transformed Christian citizens of God's kingdom reflect God's just character. Secondly, secondly, being about the gospel means that we mourn over human depravity. Being about the gospel and being a gospel-transformed citizen means that we mourn over human depravity. And if there's one thing, brothers and sisters, that we're seeing right now is the sinfulness of mankind, including our own, before our very eyes, right? We've seen it in the, in the video that went viral for eight to nine minutes. One image bearer put his knee on another image bearer, 
All the while, Mr. Floyd cried out at one point, even in desperation, for his mom. When a man calls out for his mom in desperation, that says a lot right there. That is the extent of merciless sin. Hateful sin. That's how despicable and heinous a man's heart is. I saw another video of a civilian man trying to make a stand against violent protesters, trying to protect a particular business. I don't remember if it was his or somebody else, only to get beaten to a pulp by a mob while on the ground. They're still beating him, blood everywhere, limbs going the opposite directions they should be going, merciless. That's the extent of sin and the depravity of men. Brethren, God is not silent. God is showing us and speaking to us right now as a church about how bad sin is and why people need Jesus. Not just social reform. It doesn't go far enough. Not just inner city reform. It doesn't go far enough. People need a heart change through Jesus Christ. God is showing us right now. This is how bad sin is, and this is why they need my son. This is why I love the world so much that I gave my only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life because of these sins and and even deeper, the, the internal intentions, sinful intentions of the heart. Humans are not inherently good people, and we're seeing it all over the place right now, brothers and sisters. Human beings are not neutral in their morality. Human beings are not simply the helpless victims of their environment. Our environment can certainly exacerbate and contribute to our suffering and our sinful condition. But left to ourselves, we choose sin from the very womb. We are by nature's children of wrath, even as the rest. Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible is very clear about this. We're sinful by nature. Psalm 58 verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. These who speak lies go astray from birth. Don't think the wicked somebody else. Put yourself in that category of the wicked. All of us are wicked from the womb. Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. From the moment of conception, I am already a child of wrath because of my sinful nature. Isaiah 48 verse 8, You have not heard, you have not known. Even from long ago your ear has not been open, because I knew that you would deal very treacherously, and you have been called a rebel or a transgressor from birth. It's the case for every human being. And our Lord Jesus in John 2, 24, it says of him that on his part, he was not entrusting himself to them for he himself knew what was in men. The same Jesus who says that from the heart proceed fornications, adulteries, evil intentions, attitudes, all of that. The Lord knew. Just read Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 23. Very helpful for us right now in everything that we're seeing. And Paul makes the point there about the universality of sin, that that everybody is touched by sin. Everybody is. There's none good. There's not even one. There are no righteous people. 
Universally, everybody without exception is a depraved sinner. And right now we are witnessing the profound, deep problem, that of human sinfulness. And that should move us and grip us. It should move us with compassion to say, man, this is why I need to share my faith. This is why I need to to do gospel-empowered, spirit-empowered good works for the glory of God so that people may ask me, hey, what is the deal with your compassion and your mercy? What is the deal with you guys as a church having 25-plus ethnicities in your church? What in the world happened there? I'll tell you why. Christ changed me. And Christ changed my brothers and sisters in Christ so that we could coexist and we celebrate our differences and celebrate our unity. Isn't that beautiful? We have the answer, not in a proud, arrogant way, but we have the answer in the gospel, brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who can change the human heart. As we look at the witness, the human depravity of men, what should our response be to this human depravity? My prayer is that we have mourned more than anything else. Yes, you should be outraged. Yes, I've struggled with even sinful anger at times. Some of it righteous anger, I'm convinced. But a lot of sinful anger too. But a lot of mourning and grief. And I pray that that's where you've been. I pray that you're not a Christian who is ignorant, carefree, careless, or indifferent to what's going on. Gospel-minded, kingdom-minded Christians, gospel-transformed believers are to be the most informed people in our world. You know why? Because, again, people are our business. The souls of people are our business. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. That the heavenly choir may grow in worshipers from the heart as people turn from their sins and put their trust in Jesus, the only hope for forgiveness of their sins. For reconciliation with God. Let me remind you. It's not just hatred that is the opposite of love. As Christians, we're called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Of every ethnicity. Regardless of their backgrounds. Regardless of their social bracket. We are called to love one another. But oftentimes... It's not that we are hating each other explicitly. It's that we are indifferent to the needs of somebody else. And so I'm here to tell you and remind us, it's not just hatred that's the opposite of love. It's also indifference that is the opposite of love. When you take a carefree, careless, unconcerned, or even irritable attitude towards the atrocities that we are experiencing, or even what other brothers and sisters are saying, saying, I'm hurt, this is difficult, I'm in pain, please pray for me. I pray that your response to that is not just, "Um, boy, this is irritating. Again and again and again. How many times do they need to say that? Listen, we could never understand certain people's worlds. You could never understand my world as a Latino growing up in California, always being stared at in whatever context that was Caucasian. You could never understand that. You could never understand, and I could never understand, the atrocities that some of our brethren still feel from their ancestors. We could never understand that. But we are called to have an empathetic, compassionate sensitivity toward them. Amen? 
And Christians who have been transformed by the power of God, who have the Spirit of God living in them, who are grace-fueled, are most positioned to be able to show an authentic sensitivity like that. We, of all people, need to model that. I'm not talking right now about the social gospel movement. I'm not talking right now about the views of politicians. I'm not talking about secular worldly ideologies and all the trash out there. I'm talking to Christians about having mutual sensitivity, empathy, and compassion because it's Christ-like. That's why. I could care little about all the other movements right now. There's so much trash out there and so much air out there. And one of the things that we need to do right now as, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ and as Christians is take our gospel erasers to expose the destructive, sinful ideologies, the superficial ideologies, that if people go after those, they will never solve the problem. Only Jesus solves the problem in the human heart of sin in the heart that leads to all of the atrocities like racism, sinful prejudice, child sex trafficking, homosexuality. All of those atrocities are solved ultimately in a kingdom that Jesus is bringing definitively, beloved. And those who have trusted in Christ are going to be in that kingdom. Amen? That's what it's, it's about the gospel. It's not about those things. And as gospel transforms citizens, you and I need to be empathetic and compassionate with our brethren who we don't understand fully, but you are called nevertheless to be grace-fueled and spirit-empowered in your understanding of them. Just like Jesus, Matthew 9.36 Seeing the multitudes, many of whom were selfishly following after him for what he could give them, who he knew their hearts and the atrocities that they had committed, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus mourned in his heart over spiritual lostness of people that led to all the atrocities in their life. And in John chapter 11, as Jesus witnessed the the mourning over the death of his beloved friend, Lazarus, it says that Jesus, what? Wept. Not for Lazarus in and of itself because of his physical death. He was about to raise him from the dead. Because of the spiritual lostness that brings about death, he, he wept for the hopeless predicament that people were in that ultimately led to death without Christ. That should be our heart. So we should strive to put ourselves in the shoes of others. Pastor Brock quoted Romans twelve fifteen last week. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Ecclesiastes 3 says that there's a time for everything, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Surely right now, beloved, is a time when we can come alongside some of our hurting brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Surely. As Christians, we should respond by being deeply saddened that the sin of racism is still an issue in our nation. Listen, I don't care about what your views are, all right? I really don't right now. Could there be, is the, is the possibility there that there are segments of our society and I believe there are, where there's still sinful racism and sinful prejudice, subtle sinful prejudice taking place. What do you think? Have we drank the Kool-Aid on the opposite? This is a, 
This is a sinful humanity that we're living amongst. Why wouldn't that sin still exist? That doesn't mean that you're a racist. That doesn't mean that you've ever even purposefully intended to offend somebody of a different ethnicity. I'm not talking about that. But listen to me. The sin of racism and the sin of prejudice is alive and well in our city and in our state and in our country. It is. And you know what? It's alive and well in Christian churches. More subtle, more secretive, more passive. You say, no, not me, pastor. No, not me. Not me. And that may be the case. Not every person's heart or experience are the same. And I don't think it helpful, fruitful, or reasonable, nor measured to give this emotional response where we speak in extremes. All black people feel the same about what's happening. All white people are racists. All cops are bad cops. Probably not the best time to be doing that or really ever, okay? Ever. Be careful. Don't adopt the the mindset and the methods of the world, even speaking into these things. Generalizations like all and every are not helpful or constructive. They're destructive and they shut down conversation. Constructive discussions that lead to solutions. Beloved, if the early church struggled with issues and conflict of ethnic tensions, so do we. And so we will into the future. And you know what? I'm not sure that some of our brethren in our church, especially outside of the church, this church, and other churches that I spoke to, I'm not sure that we should also lump them in into the same place where we say, well, see, this is what they want. No, it isn't. You know what I have found? That most of my Latino, Asian, black brothers and sisters in Christ, when we talk about these issues over the years, All that they want to know is that we acknowledge the fact that there is a problem. That's it. I just gave you the solution right now to having open conversations better. Stop living in denial. Most of them are not even saying that you're a racist or that you're sinfully prejudiced. What they're saying is, can we just be honest that that exists? And that because we still struggle as sin, as gospel-redeemed citizens, we can struggle with that as well. We have our prejudices, not just in the area of ethnicity, but many other things, background, social standing, life experiences, all of that. Can we at least acknowledge that? Can we at least be honest about that? And I think we can. And that would be massively helpful. Massively helpful. We need to be honest. We all have blind spots, brothers and sisters, in our sanctification, and this is a blind spot for some of us. Some of us more explicit, many of us, maybe more of us, just subtle prejudice, sinful prejudices. It's a blind spot for us. We need to acknowledge it. We need to repent of it before the Lord and before those whom we've hurt or we've thought of in a certain way. Because some of us right now might be saying, well, listen, I'm not sure that that really applies to me because I've never killed anyone. I've never lashed out at anyone. I've never uttered a racial slur. And in fact, listen, I don't even hang around people of other ethnicities. And that's exactly the point, isn't it? It's what you don't do proactively, pursuing relationships with other people who are different than you, beginning with ethnic differences. Because of your baggage and my baggage. 
That's exactly, it's not just what we commit as far as sins against people. It's what we, how we sin in withholding our love and our care and our relationship and our outreach and our affection and our tenderness and our service and our fellowship with them at a deeper level than just a Sunday morning high by person of another ethnicity. Brothers and sisters, I love you. I've wrestled with this in my own heart, and I'm calling us to be different than the world, and I believe that this church is very much in that, on that path with all of my heart. I really believe that. I really believe that. We need to be honest about this. We need to be honest. Well, I've gone over. Let me close with this, and we'll continue next week. I believe with all my heart that the Lord has positioned God's church through the gospel to address the issue of ethnic reconciliation, but that's from an outflow of our vertical reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22 next week as well and see how the vertical reconciliation on a personal level with God through faith in Jesus Christ, a natural implication, fruit of that, is that we will be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ through the one peacemaker who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that we are one beautiful body that reflects heaven on earth already. Right? We got here as a family about 10 years ago. It's going to be 11 years this August. And... I recall Sister Sharon remembers this, that we did um, an international potluck on a Sunday night not too long ago. Time flies when you're having fun, right? We did this international potluck, and I remember I even called out our Filipino brethren <laughs> at service that morning before the Sunday evening potluck because we, we had asked everybody to bring their favorite dish from their particular ethnicity so that we can all celebrate together that night. And some of our Filipino brethren hadn't brought hardly any food. So I lovingly called them out, and that night they showed up with the most food from anybody else, right? But that night, you'll never believe it, we had 26 countries represented, right, sister? 26 countries represented, ethnicities represented in this church. I reckon to say we probably have more now. I think we have more ethnicities now. And I remember getting up and leading a devotional from Acts chapter 2 just to talk about the arrival of the Spirit at Pentecost and obviously people go to that text all the time to duke it out over, you know, what is, what are tongues, are they real, you know, that whole argument. But I went there to show how upon the arrival of the Spirit of God, we see the international nature of the eternal plan of God to bring a one people together from every nation, tongue, and tribe through faith in Jesus Christ. I think that's the main point of that text. That was beautiful. As I was looking out, it hit me that night. I'm a hard-headed person, and it hit me that night greater than it had hit me before. Oh, we are pastoring. The elders and I and our wives are, are leading and pastoring a multi-ethnic congregation. And then my, my thoughts rewound. Is that even a word? Rewound? Who cares, right? 20 years before that? To when my wife, Andrea, my beloved wife, now, but at that time we were engaged. 
that we got off of the freeway off of Burbank Boulevard to go to AMC Theater here in downtown Burbank to see a movie together. And I remember going over the bridge that's now closed up, as you guys know, going over that bridge and actually telling Andrea, who were my, my fiance, honey, I never want to come in and be in L.A. in the future when I become a pastor. I never want to pastor in Burbank. I'm not kidding you. And then... I remember the conversations that she and I would have. Boy, wouldn't it be beautiful? Here's here's some of the things that by the grace of God we pray for. And somewhere in there, Lord, would it be possible that you would allow us to pastor a congregation that's multi-ethnic? White brethren, Hispanics, Asians, Southeast Asia, Europe, blacks, people from every tongue and nation. Would it be possible? It was down on that list, but it was a desire of ours. And that night, brothers and sisters, as I looked out in that room one, God had answered the prayer to an undeserving man. Grace. Grace. And the issue is not having a multi-ethnic congregation for its own sake. The issue is reflecting our community here in L.A. It's a melting pot. Our people here, our leaders trickling down to you, the laity, should reflect our Los Angeles area if we're truly not an introverted church, but we are trying to reach people for Christ. Amen? And here's the greater reality, okay? And we're going to look at this in two weeks. That scene in heaven in Revelation, with the center focus being on Christ and and people exalting Christ, the elders and those amazing heavenly entities, those angels, myriads and myriads of them, worshiping the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who else is there? A heavenly choir of the redeemed made up of all Hispanics, made up of all Filipinos, blacks, brown people, yellow people. Who? Every nation, tongue, and tribe. Exalting Christ. That's what God wants for us to reflect here now. His church. We are positioned because of the gospel to help people understand that, brothers and sisters. But it needs to be lived out in uh, the way that we interact with one another first. Amen. Father, thank you for your grace and allowing me to get through this. I pray that it would have an impact in the lives of and the hearts of your people, Lord. That we may be different in the world, be salt and light in this world, and that our aim would be to exalt Christ and nothing else more than Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.